0: October 31st, 1517. Does that mean anything to you, anybody? Let me repeat it again. October 31st, 1517. Right. It was called the Day of the Reformation. Reformation was started uh, on that particular day by a man named Martin Luther. And Martin Luther was a Catholic priest, and he uh served as a priest for many years and then he started to begin he began to read the scriptures and he felt like the teachings of the catholic church were not in line with what the bible the new testament that he was reading and he there was some tension there so martin luther started starts to speak against the church uh, speak against the catholic church um on several matters uh about with regards to how we Uh, How we confess our sins. There were a lot of things that he was challenging um, the established Catholic Church at that time. And as Martin Luther was going about criticizing the church, uh, one of the things that happened to Martin Luther was he was asked to leave the church. Uh, He was asked to leave the Catholic Church. And so he said, all right, that's fine. I'm going to start another church. Uh, And he started the Lutheran movement or the Protestant churches kind of came out of that. Um, division if you will prior to uh, that day October 31st 1517 there was only one church um, and that was called the Catholic Church after that day there were many churches that came out of that movement uh, and we are called the Protestant churches uh, so we are, are under the umbrella of the Protestant Church uh, and we call ourselves United Methodists. so that's who we are But one of the things that came out of this Protestant movement is uh, this concept called priesthood of all believers. Priesthood of all believers. Basically, what that means is every Christian is a priest. Prior to that, this teaching that Martin Luther was advocating, that every Christian is a priest, was something new uh, when he spoke about it. Because prior to that, the Catholic Church... Um, believed that only the priests were supposed to do all the work of the church. Only the priest was allowed to do certain things in the church. And the church members were just consumers. They would just come in and consume whatever the priest was doing. And then they would go about their business. That was how they understood their role as lay people in the role of the priest. But Martin Luther said, no, it's the priesthood of all believers. Everyone is a priest. The reason the Catholic Church uh, had this understanding that priests were the ones who were in charge, and they need to be the one doing all the work of the church, it's actually grounded in uh, an Old Testament uh, uh, reading. It comes to us from Numbers chapter 3 verse 5. And this is what we read. The Lord said to Moses, these Numbers chapter 3, this is happening when the people are in the wilderness. Uh, and they are in the wilderness. They left Egypt and now they're going to the promised land of Canaan, And they're being given instructions along the way. And this is what we read in Numbers chapter 3. The Lord said to Moses, bring the tribe of Levi and present them to Aaron, the priest, to assist him. They are to perform duties for him. And for the whole community at the tent of meeting by doing the work of the tabernacle. They are to work. They are to take care of all furnishings of the tent of meeting, fulfilling the obligations of the Israelites by doing the work of the tabernacle. Give the Levites to Aaron and his sons. They are Israelites who are to be given wholly to him. Appoint Aaron and his sons to serve as priests. Anyone who approaches the sanctuary is to be put to death. Here God appointed an entire tribe of Levites to be priests. He ordained them to be priests, and they were supposed to do the work in the tent of meeting. The tent of meeting, or the tabernacle, is where the Israelites in this wilderness would experience God. That's where God's presence was felt and experienced by everyone who was journeying in this wilderness. And then later, that tent of meeting was turned into the temple. And here, God gave very specific instructions as to who is allowed to work in there. God said, only the priests. Only the priests are supposed to do this work. And if anybody else does it, there is a pretty significant consequence. And the consequence is death. So that's essentially what grounded Catholic faith to kind of talk about the role of the priest. But later uh, we learn that as we read the scriptures that this is different in the church. That was true in the Old Testament, but the church that Jesus created is different, meaning that we are all called the body of Christ. Each and every one of us, we are called the body of Christ and we are called priests. It's a priesthood of all believers, meaning each and every one of us needs to work as a priest. That means we need to care for the needs of those in our community. We need to be the ones that prepare the place of worship, that we are called to be God's hands and feet. And we're supposed to care for those needs that surround us. That is the mandate. That comes to us from the New Testament. And this term, the priesthood of all believers, comes from New Testament. It's a letter written by a disciple named Peter. It's First Peter chapter 2. This is what we read in First Peter 2.9. But you are a chosen people. Here, Peter is talking to the church. And he's saying, you are a chosen people. A royal priesthood, a holy nation. God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you're a people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Each one of us is called a priest. The priesthood of all believers. Each one of us is called a priest and is given a purpose. Peter is saying to us, to Mount Hope Church, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are a priest. Anyone who confesses Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior is a priest and is called to carry out that work. That is what we are called to do. Even though initially the Catholic Church resisted this terminology of priesthood of all believers, later in Vatican II, the Catholic Church actually affirmed this teaching and now teaches that we are all called uh, to serve and all are called to serve the church. We all have different roles and gifts, but we are all called to serve. And this morning, this is what we read from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now you are the body of Christ. And each one of you is a part. And God has placed you, placed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracle workers, then gifts of helping, of guidance, in different kinds of tongues. Verse 29 Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have the gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now eagerly desire the greater gifts. Here Paul is reminding us again, you are the body of Christ. Each one of us makes up the body of Christ. And each one of us is called to be a priest. Meaning we are called to serve. Last week we discussed the gifts that we possess uh, that were help and nurture. And uh, uh, Pastor Joanne has some uh, flyers that she'll hand them out. <laughs> um, is, as I'm talking, she'll she's going to, as we're kind of going through this journey again, um, you'll have an opportunity to fill this out. Uh, if there's an area that you would like to serve, um, uh, you can fill that out and put it in the offering plate. If you would like to find out what your gifts are, because we've been talking about gifts, uh, the spiritual gifts that are given to each one of us. Uh and um, there is a QR code that you can go to that website and do it. If you'd like to do a handwritten one, there's some manual copies in the back as well that can identify what your gifts are. And last week uh, we heard from Chris Bergman, uh, who talked about uh, the gifts of nurture, the gifts of nurture that were found in this church. How a Sunday school teacher uh, knocked on his door and dragged him out of bed so that he can be in church and. Chris spoke about all these different individuals who shaped his own spiritual life. These gifts of nurture that shaped his life. And if you don't know Chris, he has a gift of encouragement. When you talk to Chris, you leave with a smile on your face. And he's there to cheer you on. And he's there to say rah-rah anything that you're going through. And Chris does this faithfully with our youth group. Uh, kids with our teenagers this happened several years ago when Samara uh, who's in 10th grade now she was in middle school at this point I asked her simply how was youth group and she said oh youth group was good Mrs. Chris spoke I said oh what did he talk about he said dad Miss, Mr. Chris talked about being grateful how we shouldn't be always chasing for the finest and the best phones how we need to be grateful for what we have because God has given us a lot. That was Chris who was influencing my daughter. Teaching her what it means to be content. I'm grateful for Chris and how he is shaping my daughter's spiritual life and also shaping the spiritual life of so many other young people in our church. And he's been doing this for decades. I'm grateful for all of you who serve In these nurturing roles without your work we would not be functioning as a church so I'm grateful for the way you serve our church friends this morning we're going to be talking about another set of gifts and these gifts are called the gifts of outreach and on your sheets that you have you can see there are some gifts that are listed I want to talk to you a little bit about what these gifts mean for us and our community and then talk about how we are called to serve as well. The gifts of, of outreach. The ones who are drawn to these gifts or the ones who have these gifts are the people who care about the needs in our community. Because when you think about it, whether it's your workplace, your neighbors, the families that your kids play soccer with. Or can someone who lives 10 miles from here or a thousand miles away from here. They all have emotional needs. They have spiritual needs. They have financial needs. And we as a church are called to care for them. We're called to provide for them in tangible ways. We're called to care and provide for them. The ones who have these gifts, these, these nesting of gifts, they are the ones who are restless. Restless. When they see a homeless person walking past on the street. There's something in their soul that just, that just is restless. They feel for that person who's homeless. Or when you see kids uh, in our community that are struggling with poverty. There's something inside you that says, "Ah, oh, that's not right. In the depths of your soul, you feel the pain that they might be going through. And you want to do something about it. You want to do something about it. When you see a community, when you see a school, um, when you see a school in an under-resourced community, under-resourced community, and you think about their classroom, and you think, we need to do something about it. When you think about an elderly homeowner, who's part of our church, who's not able to keep up with their yard work, you're the first one to show up with a rake saying, all and right, let's go do something about this. That's who these gifts are. You have these gifts of outreach if you feel that way. And I want to talk a little bit about some of these gifts, the gifts of working miracles. This person with this gift of working a miracle is completely depends on God. Their prayer life is evident in how they, are, they stand knowing that God will provide. When a problem is solved and everyone around them is thinking, how did this person pull this off? How did you figure what to do? And this person simply says, I never doubted God. I knew God would show up. Their prayer life is resilient. And they know God's going to show up. Working of miracles. Last year, I want to share this example with you. We were at a Bread of Life meeting and uh, the inflation and prices were going up. And we were having discussions as to what to do and how to do and how to manage finances and blah, blah, blah and all that good stuff. And one person just simply said, God will provide. And guess what? God did provide. And we ended up with a surplus. We went out and bought food for our Bread of Life families. And we cared for those who are hungry in our community. The gift of compassion. The person who has these outreach gifts is, is someone that has the gift of compassion. You feel In the depths of your soul. The pain that you see in our community. You feel the pain. Your friends might call you a bleeding heart. When you see a commercial on TV about kids battling challenges in a third world country. You see images of uh, of a dirt floor and kids in battered clothing. A teardrop runs down your cheek. Those who have this gift of compassion, they want to do something to meet the needs of those who are around them. They want to care for the needs. They want to do something. This past year, we did an event called Rise Against Hunger. Rise Against Hunger is the only organization that is working tirelessly so that they don't exist in the future. Their whole work is this, that they provide um, meals for those communities uh, that are experiencing famine. And they, they they make a statement saying, we don't want to exist anymore. We want to go find other jobs because they are committed to battling famine. And we as a church, we're part of that ministry. And the Rise Against Hunger, what I love, what they do is they just don't, Provide food for fair communities that are battling famine and poverty, but rather they provide education as well. They believe that through education and providing food, that is one of the best ways to combat poverty, and they're doing an exceptional job. The other gift is servanthood. The person with this gift loves to serve those around them. This is the person. Who leaves the party the last. They stay till everything is packed up and put away. Think about all the church dinners or lunches that you were ever part of. And you can picture those people who are constantly walking back and forth between the dining room and the kitchen. Making sure everything is washed up and put away. Without those individuals, our church would not be able to function They have the gift of servanthood they put the needs of others over themselves they want to care they want to care for those who are around them when they see somebody who is brutally broken and thrown aside and living on the margins usually when we encounter those individuals our first instinct is to pretend like they don't exist or to walk away Because we don't want to see their pain. And we wonder if I start a conversation, it's going to lead into something else. And quite honestly, I'm busy and I need to do something else. But this individual, they do it differently. They see the world differently. When they see a broken person, when they see somebody who's on the margins thrown aside by the side of the road, they see Christ in them. They see Christ when he was beaten and thrown aside on the road, on the road to Golgotha. on the road to the cross, they see Christ. The person who has a gift of servanthood, I'm reminded of Mother Teresa, who worked with homeless people in Calcutta, India. When she saw people who were homeless people without food without shelter she didn't think I need to get out of here but rather she saw an opportunity to care for them she saw an opportunity to care for them and she provided the care these are the three gifts that I want to highlight for those who have the gifts of outreach friends if you have these gifts of outreach We would love for you to be involved in our church and serving our community. Maybe you have an idea of a new ministry that you would like to start. I would love to hear, have an opportunity to hear about that story as well. Finally, I want to share with you um, a biblical story, a biblical basis as to how this gift of outreach is lived out. This story comes to us from the Gospel of Matthew, reading from chapter 14, starting at 15. As evening approached, the disciples came to him. The disciples came to Jesus and said, This is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave things and broke the loaves and then gave it to the disciples and gave to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up twelve baskets full of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men, besides women and children. Here are a couple of things that are happening in this story. Jesus and the disciples both see a problem, they both see this exact same problem. The problem is this there are over 5,000 people, and they're hungry. And both Jesus and the disciples consider a different solution. The disciples want these people to go away. Send them away. Send them away so that they can find food. Because they are in a remote place and they're going to go hungry. So send them away. I think gee, what the disciples were saying is, Jesus, cut your Sherman's short so that they all can leave. Amen? Some of you might have said that. Uh, it's supposed to be funny. You all can laugh. Um, uh, so, right, send them away. And Jesus looks at the same challenge and says, "Feed them." Jesus tells them, "Feed them." And then, as we're looking as to how do you go about doing this, the logistics of all that is surrounds this. How are we going to feed 5,000 people? And both look at the resources. The disciples look at the resources and say, we don't have enough. We don't have enough resources to care for the, for the needs of all these people. We don't have enough. All we have is just five loaves of bread and two fish. We do not have I love what Jesus tells them he says bring it to me bring all your resources to me bring all your resources to me and Jesus performs a miracle and he feeds them in verse 21 I love this it says uh, verse 20 it says and they were all satisfied they were all hungry and they ate and they ate they were all satisfied. There was an abundance. See, when Jesus does a miracle, when we begin to care for the needs of those around us, even with limited resources, there is a miracle that takes place and there is an abundance. Friends, we have a mandate. We have a mandate given to us from our Savior to care for the needs of those that are around us. Intangible ways to feed the hungry, to visit the sick. One of the ch- one of the ministries that our church does is called Bread of Life Ministries, and this morning I want to highlight that ministry, and I want to invite Karen Jason to come and share a little bit about her story uh, and about this ministry as well.
1: morning, church family. <clears throat> Pastor Johnson asked me to speak with you today about Bread of Life. Um, and uh, since I'm going to be sharing at both services, I thought it would be a good idea for me to write it out instead of uh, trying to speak uh, in case I forget some of the things that I wanted to mention. Uh, so first, I'm going to share a little bit about my journey with this ministry. In 2019, Pastor Johnson asked me after church one Sunday morning, he asked if I would be willing to run Bread of Life. Uh, you've got to watch Pastor Johnson. He'll sort of sneak up on you. He did the same thing last Sunday <laughs> when I when he asked me to do this little, you know, uh, share this with you. But anyway, seriously speaking, uh, he asked if I would run Bread of Life. Sue Keeley, who had been running it for years, was moving and could no longer re- lead it. My first reaction to Pastor's question was to laugh. I'm so glad I did not laugh out loud. I was also certain that my answer would be a definite no. Please don't get me wrong. I've always been involved in ministries at Mount Hope, but in areas where I felt most comfortable. I'm a trained teacher, so helping with Sunday school, VBS, and Christian education was a more natural thing for me to do. However, with Bread of Life, I had little to no experience. In the past, I'd attended a few Saturday distributions, mainly to accompany John and Rachel, who were regular volunteers. This was a ministry with which I had really had no experience, much less the ability to run it. So when I shared this with my family and told them what pastor had asked me to consider, I was sure they would support my decision to say that I couldn't. Much to my surprise, not only did they tell me that I should do it, but they also thought I could. One of my main concerns was following in the footsteps of Sue Keely. As many of you know, her leadership with Bread of Life was legendary. I was terrified that I would not be able to meet her standards and keep this ministry going. It took me nearly a month of prayerful consideration and speaking with Sue and a few other friends at this church to finally let pastor know that I was willing to help with bread of life. Even then I told him it was on a more temporary basis. Let's see how it goes. There was so much to learn and very little time to prepare myself. In less than six months, we were hit by the pandemic. I felt very inadequate and would have given up except that I had a few things going for me. Last week when pastor spoke in his sermon about the faith Timothy inherited from his mother and grandmother, it reminded me of my own family. Both my parents came from simple means. My dad was the oldest of seven children, and at the age of 15, he joined the military mainly to support his family. His father was a church minister, and he and my grandmother pastored a poor congregation that couldn't support them. In my town, that congregation was called the people who lived under the bridge, quite literally. My father learned radical generosity from his parents. Anybody who knocked on their door was welcome to share a watered-down cup of tea or share in a meal. One of the many stories we heard was of my grandmother. She would have just cooked a meal of five small fish for her family of nine. My grandfather would arrive at the door with an unexpected guest, and one fish would go to the guest. She would then divide up the remaining fish for her children. Growing up, I saw this example exemplified in my own parents. My father worked tirelessly to support not just his family, but all his siblings and their families and actually anyone else who needed help. Our home was always open to folks who needed a meal. My mother was always in the kitchen cooking and cleaning and entertaining with a cheerful smile. When my parents passed away, my dad was 94 years old and my mother was 81. For both their funerals, there was a stream of friends and strangers who came to pay their respects and to share how my parents' generosity had touched their lives. Now all of my parents' siblings and their families lead pretty comfortable lives watching my parents, my sisters and I, learned the importance of giving. So I guess the desire to help people was always there. I just needed encouragement and someone to believe in me. I'm also sure that anyone who volunteered with Bread of Life will tell you that we feel doubly blessed to serve those who need our help and to help our neighbors. The other thing that I had going for me when I started with Bread of Life were the volunteers. This ministry has been running since 2003 in various forms. There are folks who have been involved in Bread of Life right from its inception. And it was these volunteers who gently and patiently taught me the ropes. They helped me and supported me when I came in with no experience. I am still learning with each new challenge and with every mistake I make. I think of Bread of Life the way it is described in today's scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27. With Christ as our head, we are a ministry with folks who have different abilities and strengths. We each bring what we do best, and together we are able to reach out and help our neighbors in the community. It is the volunteers that run this ministry. Their passion and dedication is amazing to watch. There is a team of shoppers. Since every cent counts, Like hawks, they will scour the grocery stores looking for sales before deciding to pick up cans of beef stew or a box of hamburger helper. They work throughout the month, not just on distribution days. Some make a trip every month to pick up 40 dozen eggs from Lancaster. Others buy fresh produce on Friday before distribution, while others purchase meat and dairy. There are teams of packers. They pack bags before distribution. Some pack boxes for new pantry families to pick up during the week and meet with them at church. There are folks who methodically keep the pantry in room 104 counted and labeled and stocked, constantly checking to see that no food reaches the expiration date. On distribution Saturdays, volunteers show up at 8 a.m. to man the tables and help our Bread of Life families select food. The Bread of Life volunteers span all ages. Our youth volunteers help us runners, pushing carts of food from one table to the next and loading food into cars. The Bread of Life families love ch- chatting with our young volunteers. So many of them have commented on how respectful and kind they are. In addition to distributing food, we also have Angel's Closet that provides seasonal clothing for all ages. Yesterday, we served many families, and many of them visited Angel's Closet for clothing too. More recently, a Bible study group at Mount Hope receives prayer requests from Bread of Life families and prays over these prayer requests together in confidentiality. There is so much more that I could share, but for the sake of time, I can't. The Bread of Life volunteers are an incredibly generous and dedicated team of people They truly model what it is to be the body of Christ. Thank you so much, volunteers. Mount Hope Family Church, we are very grateful for your generous support. Without your continued support in the form of monetary donations and food donations, we could not continue this ministry. As everyone is aware, the cost of food has skyrocketed. The fact that we are able to shop and provide food for our growing list of Bread of Life participants every month is a testament to your generosity and caring hearts. When the Bread of Life board meets every two to three months, we always wonder and worry about how we will continue to sustain this ministry as prices keep increasing. But church family, you always come through for this ministry, whether you worship us, Whether you worship with us in person or online, we are grateful for your love and generosity. If you would like to help with this ministry, there are several ways you can do so. Please continue to support this ministry through monetary donations. Also, every first Sunday, there is a donation box that is placed at the back of the sanctuary for food donations. If you forget to bring food in that week, you can always drop food off on the table in 104 and one of the volunteers will take care of it. If you're into cutting coupons, please drop off coupons on the table in 104. That they will be a huge help for our shoppers. If you can spend a few hours every month shopping for Bread of Life, please join our shopping teams. Bread of Life is also looking for ways to to raise additional funds for this ministry. So if you have ideas for a fundraiser or can run a fundraiser for Bread of Life, please let us know. If you are able to spare a few hours on distribution Saturdays, please join us in Haberset Hall. We meet most third Saturdays. Prep and setup starts at 8 a.m. Distribution runs from 9.30 to 11.30 a.m. You do not have to come every month. Please join us whenever you can. The next few distributions are our big holiday ones. We serve our regular Bread of Life families and other members of the community who sign up just for the holidays. We are always in need of more volunteers for these distributions. So please come out and help us on Saturday, November 18th and December 9th. Finally, and most importantly, please pray for this ministry. Please pray for the health and safety of our volunteers, for wisdom and continued strength to do this work, and especially for the Bread of Life participants and their families. Thank you so much for giving me a chance to speak on behalf of Bread of Life. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Karen, for not saying for saying yes, uh, and continuing to lead this ministry. Grateful for your leadership. Um, and also uh, later today, uh, a bunch of our youth are actually going to uh, one of our church members house uh, to do yard work. Uh, it's Edith Molesky. Uh, they're going to be going and cleaning up the yard and, uh, and making it look good and picking up all the leaves and everything else. Uh, there are so many ways that you can serve. If you have this gift that God has given you, I hope you can say Yes. I hope you can say yes. Please fill that out and place it in the, uh, in the offering plate as well. Uh, at this time, let us go before our God uh, with our tithes and our offering. We give to God as a token of our gratitude for all that Christ has given us. Let us worship our God.